When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick here today for the Know Your Foe episode for the divisional round. Very excited about this because the Ravens are going to Buffalo, shuffling off, and may have a weather intense game. Here to talk about that with us, as well as all the particulars of the Buffalo Bills, is Drew Geyer. Drew, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well, Ken. Thanks for having me. Now, you guys have on your show. Any number, and tell people about that, by the way. Show, Twitter handle, all that. Introduce yourself in that Hi, I'm, I'm Drew Gear. I'm the host of the Rock Pell Report podcast. We're a fan podcast, a couple of long-suffering Bills season ticket holders who decided that we would kind of uh, vent some of our angst into microphones, and it kind of took off and got a life of its own. You can find us at Rock Pell Report on Twitter. And uh, we run a format where we have our weekly podcast covering just the Buffalo Bills, and then we also run a show where we – Talk about the AFC division as a whole, which this year was a lot of fun considering the way that race went. Yeah, it's it's really a great report. And I would encourage you folks, if you want good information on every team, don't go to the national pundits who don't spend as much time focusing on each team, but try and build yourself up a stable of the guys. And, and Rockpile Report is the one I would recommend for the Bills. Definitely a very good one in terms of that. 
one of the interesting things about being on your show is you guys always have a bucket of beers present and you work through that very quickly, just at a standing rate. Are those, are those seven ounce beers, 10 ounce beers? They're, they're a little bit smaller than normal, right? They're, they're the, 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 the Canadian, they come from Canada. So they're 11 ounces. They're not quite, they're not quite 12. Okay. They're Moosehead Lagers. It's the official beer of our show, just kind of because it was something different. It's something we don't get. I hope they're sponsoring you for this kind well, of Hilariously content. enough, we're actually, uh, we're, they've actually reached out to us. We're, we're working on a little something for the upcoming season just because they couldn't understand our dedication to their brand. And I said, honestly, I don't know what it is either. Your beer just, it's good. And it seems to go with talking football. <laughs> all right. I said, we're going to come back and talk about all the things Buffalo Bills, but we're going to give Josh a little moment for a reader, do a little business. We'll be right back. All right, it's that time of the year when divisions are decided, champions are crowned, and legends are born. It's the NFL playoffs. We've waited, we've watched as the Ravens made it into the playoffs, and now it's our turn to win big. You've heard the name everywhere. I say it on every episode, MyBookie, which is the industry-leading online sportsbook and casino, and it's hard not and it's not hard to understand why with thousands of lines to bet on all your favorite sports, NFL, NBA, college ball, all up there. Check, check, check. MMA, soccer, they've got it. They've even got uh, cultural and political bets as well. Take advantage of the MyBookie prop builder and live in-game betting. All ways that you can put cash in your pocket this playoff season. Visit their mobile-friendly website, today and get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000 when you use the promo code RAVENS when you make your first deposit. And the best part is they make it really simple. You can deposit using a credit card, a bank transfer, Bitcoin, and many other options. Whether you're home or on the go, on your laptop or on your phone, it's not too late to make your New Year's resolution a resolution to get paid. Bet win and get paid at my bookie. Hi folks, back with Drew Geyer here on Know Your Foe. Let's get dive right into it in terms of the Bills season here. Review it to date in terms of some of the really big moments and turning points for Buffalo this year. Obviously, this is a breakthrough year in terms of record, in terms of finally getting past the Patriots and winning this division after many, many years. Talk about some of the big moments this season. Oh, my God. This was – and it seems fitting in a year when Bills fans like myself – I've been a season ticket holder for over a decade – can't attend games. This would be the year that the Buffalo Bills decide to be their most impressive. They came out and really broke through in – I mean, our defense was always good. Our defense, since the Sean McDermott took over in 2017, the bread and butter of this team was you're going to run the ball, you're going to play strong defense, and you're going to hope to scratch out 20-point victories. This year, our team exploded on the offensive side of the football, and a lot of that was watching Josh Allen really took the next step in terms of quarterback development. And I think you also saw us take the next step in terms of play calling. Brian Dable... He's, you know, he, he's right now, he, he's a hot name. He's a hot name on the coaching circuit. And one of the things that I think got him there is you're watching this Buffalo Bills offense that really struggled in years past start to cook. This isn't Brian Dable's first crack at being an offensive coordinator. This is his third go round now, and this is the most successful season he's ever had. And I think what you have is the perfect combi- combination of 
offensive coordinator having so many tools in his toolbox that he's finally been allowed to create some of the concepts and things that he wanted to execute all along. And then he's finally got a quarterback with enough elite traits that he can pull a lot of them off. I mean, I mm-hmm. just I think that that really is the breakthrough for the Buffalo Bills this year, because you're seeing Sean McDermott get away from his old, you know, three yards in the cloud, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust type offense that he's been known to run. And we've become one of the more explosive units. He's kind of deferred to his offensive coordinator in that regard. And it really has changed the complexion of this team. All right. Let's talk about the draft. First of all, I want to kind of work through the elements that built the bills. First of all, and let's just focus on the 2020 draft. We can't go back to every <laughs> one uh, and still do this. Uh, but interesting group of draftees this year, including Moss, who's now on the shelf. But uh, talk about those guys. Well, so this draft was interesting because it actually and you'll probably get a chuckle out of this, you and your listeners. So we didn't have a first round pick because we traded away for Stefan Diggs, which I'm more than okay with. You landed one of the elite wide receivers in football for a pick that you were going to use for a wide receiver anyway. And you knew what you were getting a known commodity. And clearly the, the synergy between Diggs and John Josh Allen is been on display all season. <laughs> There's a reason they're both pro bowlers for the first time in their careers together. But the one pick that really got me was the pick in the second round. I'm watching mm-hmm. the draft board fall. We're doing a live broadcast of the draft, a multicast type thing. And I see that JK. We did we did the same thing, by the way. How much fun is that kind of a show? It's, you have like 30, 40, 50 people, I guess, on, on a Zoom call to do it. Yeah. Well, what we did was we had a panel of seven guys and then a chat full of other people, you know, fans of our various shows who all get together and they can ask questions and we're reacting to their stuff and we're all you know, shooting the bull together. And it was a lot of fun right up until I got in. I had my customary bucket of beers. We we're having a great time. And then I see that JK Dobbins is on the board and the bills are on the clock. And in my head, I'm thinking this is a no brainer. I love JK Dobbins. <laughs> He's potentially the most explosive running back in this draft class. There's no excuse for this team not to pick this done. You, I, I make the pick now. And I see them draft AJ Epinesa and I saw red and I think I think I drank a few beers pretty quickly. I had some, I got real hostile about the pick. It really bothered me, and it bothered me even more to see your team drafting because in my head it was just the rich getting richer. It's like that's the last thing they need is one more great running back. Come on, <laughs> you know. Here's what's funny about that: Ravens fans are actually upset that the Ravens didn't draft Denzel Mims, or there were a bunch of ones who were very quiet right now. By the mm-hmm. way, are are upset yeah. that the Ravens didn't draft Denzel Mims instead of Dobbins. <laughs> so when I look at Upanessa, oh, and of course I was real salty. Because everyone was like, no, Epinesa, he's great, he's great, we needed a D-lineman, he's great. And then he spent the first four weeks being inactive. And you can imagine how I felt about that. But he's come on now. And at the beginning of the year, there, we had a defensive end named Trent Murphy who was making $9 million, who was supposed to be a cap casualty. And he stuck around. And they allowed Epinesa to stay on the roster but be inactive. Because Sean McDermott never likes to throw his rookies out into the fire. He he doesn't matter where you get drafted. You have to earn your snaps. But now you're seeing Epinesa. He's taken that job. We have a nine million, which I think speaks to, I, I want to say they know what they're doing. But you know how frustrating it is watching a $9 million player being active every week? Oh, it gets, it gets, it gets the blood pressure up around here in Buffalo when you bring up his name. But Epinesa has played well enough that as a rotational D end, he's lost some weight. He's gotten a little faster. He, he's learned how to drop into coverage. He's learned how to do some things. He's now become that third, fourth rotational DN for this team. 
And I think the best draft pick we have is Gabe Davis. We're going to talk about him throughout the show, so I'm not going to spend too much time because he really is a piece that you guys are going to see a lot of this weekend. He might be the surprise of the draft because he had a transformative effect on what we're allowed to call on offense. And for a rookie wide receiver, I think he's showing a lot of promise really early. Fourth round pick there, drafted fairly late in that fourth round too. So that's a, that's a great pick when you can get a good one there. Let's talk about the Bills in terms of their long-run cap situation because this is one of the really kind of interesting things around the National Football League going into 2022, 2021, sorry, is the reduced COVID cap that is likely and where most of the teams are in relation to it. Well, I'll tell you, we couldn't have run into this at the worst time as a franchise. We've got our, – our GM has done a really good job, probably the best job anyone's done here in the last 20 years, which explains why our team is where it is in the NFL – But he's done a great job of going out and finding talent, whether it's via trade, whether it's via waiver transactions, whether it's just through the draft. The problem with that is, is that that's great when they're on their rookie contracts, but over time, you got to figure out who you're going to keep and who you're not. We have linebacker Matt Milano, who might be playing some of the best inside, you know, weak side linebacker in, I'd say in the AFC but maybe he's a top 10 in the NFL right now because he can do everything so well. He drops into coverage. He can play the run. He's, he can play the run in space. He can do all sorts of great things for our defense, and we're a different defense without him on the field. He's probably going to run about $12 million. Well, this offseason we went and took a flyer on uh, Daryl Williams, kind of a, a former all-pro at right tackle for the Carolina Panthers, who was kind of a cast-off for their team. You know, they they were just going to leave him on the scrap heap. And with our Panthers connections, you know, Brandon Bean was instrumental in drafting him when he was there as a scout. So he brings him in. I'm, I think it's like a $2 million, $3 million contract. He has stabilized the right tackle position for us for the first time in 10 years. So now we're faced mm-hmm. with this situation where who do you prioritize? What Because like you said, the cap is falling. You have a quarterback who's going to need a new deal. You've got defensive backs that are getting older and they're not getting any cheaper, but you can't lose those because of the backbone of your defense. You've got two young linebackers who are both going to need contracts soon. You're running out of places to sock money away and you're looking at those two positions and going, there's going to be, it's all going to come down to philosophy. Now with a defensive head coach, you figure, hey, maybe they'll defer to the linebacker spot. But when you see the way this offense has been able to throw the ball, and that's what's keyed them to being the number two seed in the AFC, you got to give some credence to the idea that maybe they do have to let Milano walk and open the wallet to retain this right tackle. There's going to be some painful decisions coming. It was a one-year deal for Williams such that they have to resign him immediately. Okay. And one of the nice things about those sorts of deals is there's not very much total available dollars. There's only about 17 million of net total dollars available across the entire NFL. Now, there are going to be a lot of cuts that increase that because of how tight cap is, but a player like Williams will probably come cheaper than you expect. So it's not going to be a $12 million per year deal. He may be a $7 million per year guy in this particular year, or you might get him for two years at that price. Uh, and how old is he? Is the other he's question is mid to late twenties. I want to say 26, 27. He's okay. Well, that's obviously the, the, the age at which everybody wants a player like that. So you're, you're that's, it puts additional value in that. If he's 32, you know, he's a guy you might get very mm-hmm. cheap. Uh, but but anyway, that's you, you, you got a good point. It's just, you know, hearing your points about quarterback 
And the Ravens are in exactly the same point. Josh Allen, obviously, and, and Lamar Jackson drafted in the same round in 2018. They both are up for their uh, first opportunity to be extended along, just like Mahomes was this last year. We'd expect both of them to make a lot of money. And the only thing worse than having a quarterback on your rookie deal who's about to get paid is having a quarterback who's already getting paid <laughs> on uh, on an extended mm-hmm. deal. No, so when I look at Josh Allen, you're looking, they're already talking about re-signing him. And I know that there was some things going on, like uh, I know the agents for Lamar Jackson were talking to the Ravens at one point. And then I, I, there was something that came out about how those talks kind of got put on the back burner for a while. And I think probably because based on the way his season started, there was probably a little bit of division between what his agents feel he's worth and what he the team feels he's worth. Well, the way he's been playing the last month, I think <laughs> I think his agents are going to be very pleased. He'll get paid. He's going to get paid. Yeah. Josh Allen is in the same boat. He's having a season the way Pat Mahomes had a season last year. And those are the types of seasons that get a quarterback paid. It's going to come down to creativity, I think, for both quarterbacks. But And I think Josh Allen more specifically because with Josh Allen, at least with Lamar Jackson, you guys know what he is. You know what he is. You know what he isn't. And you know whether or not you can build an offense that you can win games around. With Josh Allen, this kind of came out of nowhere. And so there is a certain question of sustainability there. There's the fear of what, how much of what he's accomplishing right now is just a product of Brian Dable, who's done such a good job that he's up for a head coaching gig. How much of his production is a byproduct of Dable's play calling? It, you know, it, so with the fact that they're talking about paying him, it, that, that's also just something that we're going to have to navigate here. And I, and I hope that none of that is weighing on him now as he's out here trying to play hero ball in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I maybe that would be a problem. I'm not sure. But there, there's lots of excuses to be made for him in terms of the playoffs to so Josh Allen. Uh, you know, he's, I guess he's in the playoffs for the second time, right? Not the third. Or we have the Bills made it two years in a row now. This is his yeah. second playoff appearance. Second playoff appearance. All right. So, uh, you know, certainly they're expecting things by now. We know by Lamar Jackson, oh, my God, two playoff losses, and you're, you're, you've got the scarlet letter put on you. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, let's go ahead and talk the offense right now. We'll, we'll, we'll get and start with Allen in terms of his strengths and weaknesses. Obviously, Allen, a very strong-arm kid, lots of ability to run the football uh, when he gets in trouble and, and wants to leave the pocket. When you talk about strong ability to leave the pocket, there's one play that I think stands out more than anything else from the game against the Colts this past weekend. It's a play. It's kind of a broken play. There's nobody open for Allen. So he decides he's going to take off and he starts running. Darius Leonard is a Pro Bowl linebacker. Mm -hmm. I believe he's a captain for their defense. He's a tenacious tackler. He sees Allen coming and launches his entire body into Allen and it barely, like, it doesn't knock him backwards. It just stops his forward momentum. And then eventually, Allen just kind of calmly, okay, you got me, and takes a knee. And you could almost see a deflating effect that it had on the rest of the defense because they're like, you just laid the wood on this guy, and he's shaking it off like it's nothing. We've got, he's, he's over here stiff arming our defensive linemen down whenever they can get their hands on. He has this demoralizing physical ability when he decides he's going to move around outside the pocket. But I think the the thing that you're seeing this year and the places that he's improved, I'm looking at his passer chart from 2019. He was mediocre to below average down the middle of the field, deep 
to both the left and the right. Mm-hmm. And even on short passes, he was below league average or right at league average. You go to this season, and what you found is that he's either at or slightly above average pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he's learned how to work all three levels of a field from the pocket. You know, in the past, the one thing you would see with Josh Allen is that he would get flustered. He, he wasn't seeing the field very well. And so in those moments, he would kind of drift from the pocket and then he'd realize, oh, there's nobody open. Now I have to run because I left the pocket. <laughs> and this is where these wide receivers are like, they're looking back to him like, hey, I got open, but now you drifted too far to the left and you're not throwing back to the right. So you're not throwing back across your body. Now you have no choice but to run. This year, he's playing more stay at home in the pocket quarterback. But with that came this enhanced field vision. And with the talent he has at his disposal and that arm, he's been able to hit all three levels and make it look easy. Just flicks of the wrist. And he, he threw a touchdown pass this past weekend over, over a defender, dropped it in stride in a bucket for, I want to say it was 38 or 40 yards to Stefan Diggs with traffic in his face. And it just took a flick of the wrist and it flew down the field and he makes it look effortless. I mean, it's really something to watch. And that is no defensive coordinator has really found an answer for it so far. I mean, it's, it's really It puts a lot of pressure on your safeties and it keeps them from being able to come up and run support and kind of covering those shallow crossing routes. All right. So looking at some of the receivers in particular, my, the point I'm, I'm going to tie back to here is that I think a lot of Allen's improvement on the outside has got to be in the receiving core himself, the additional trust factor there, certainly Stefan Diggs and, and what he's brought to this offense this year. The incredible statistic about Stefan Diggs is he's caught over what over 75 because he's only dropped. He's only not caught 39 of 166 passes. So he's over 75% completion. That's unbelievable for a wide receiver. I mean, a high 60s is a hard level to attain. A lot of you know deep threat receivers would be more like in the high 50s, and the bad deep threat receivers are around 50. Uh, that's remarkable. And then also to see McKenzie having a 30 out of 34 uh, catch year is still very good too. Mm-hmm. No, and it, one of the things that you just, you look at Stefan Diggs, and one of the most impressive things about him, 73, 73 first downs receiving. I mean, he's, he has a thousand air yards. Air yards. That's not even yards run after the catch. That's not, hey, I caught a couple lucky breaks and there was some breakdowns in coverage. He has over a thousand yards through the air. The thing that I said a couple weeks ago on this show was that I just feel bad. I feel bad for myself because I spent, I've spent years watching this Bills football team putter through putting together an offense. And I've thought to myself when I've seen a, a guy like Lee Evans. In fact, I think he had a mm-hmm. cup of coffee with you guys a few years yeah. ago. Right? <laughs> a cup of coffee and a 0.0 passer rating during the regular season. Four out of 27 of three picks on, on passes. Yeah. yeah. So Lee Evans. He might have been the most talented. Him, him and Stevie Johnson might have been the most talented wide receivers we've had since then. And yet every year, we as Bills fans would get together and we'd tell ourselves, it's okay because there's this wide receiver, insert name here, who we think could be a number one or could be a great player for this offense. And now I'm watching an elite wide receiver play, and it makes me feel bad that I ever thought any of that. It makes me feel bad that I ever liked any of those prospects that it, because it shows how little I actually know about what a real quality talent <laughs> looks like up close in person. 
And so when you see what he does, it's that his route running, he has this herky jerky and yet smooth style of route running. Like he has a gallop step that I've never seen a wide receiver execute without losing their quarterback. And yet he stops on a dime, then he gallops a different direction and you can't stay in his hip pocket. Some of the best cover corners over the course of the season have tried and he just finds a way to get a little bit of separation and Allen has so much trust in him that he's willing to throw him 50-50 balls that in the past he probably would have just started running or he would have looked for a check down. But he trusts Diggs so much because he Diggs has made some spectacular catches for us. I mean, it's, it's become routine. You know, this past week he had uh, six or seven catches for 125 yards. We yawned at the stat line because he's been doing that every week since the beginning of the season. It's old hat yeah. now. 1,535 yards, so he's averaged almost 100 yards per game and then throwing another 128 against Indianapolis in the in the uh, uh, first game of the playoffs here. A remarkable year, certainly. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned that he's got 76 first down catches. I'm actually mildly surprised. He's got 51 not first down catches. That actually is surprisingly high to me that 40% of his catches would be. But that's when, when you get 127, you get a lot of both, I guess. No, and and it's just it speaks to how much Allen trusts him in go to situations. He trusts Diggs with his life, and so there's and there's a lot of games where you'll watch him play, and it's first and ten in his first. There's a call you can see it. It's a run. He'll check out of it and throw it up to Diggs for 14 yards. Why? Because I like I like the I like I just like something about this look. I like the fact that there's no safety over there to help him. Why not? We're gonna try it. So you're going to get a healthy dosage of Stephon Diggs this weekend. You w- you wish you had that trust relationship with all your receivers, but there's all it's a relative thing. It's like wealth is relative, but but trust is relative. Trust you is you relative. always trust somebody more than the next guy, and he trusts Diggs the most. That's that's natural, just the way Jackson trusts Andrews the most and Brown the most, and yep. everybody else a lot less. Well, and, and so when you look at the rest of the wide receiver core, the thing that has made this group special is that they're. They have varied skill sets, but they're all elite at something. You've got John Brown, who's you guys know he's he's very good at getting. Be- he he won't win with size, and he's not going to win. With, if you he can he's jambled at the line of scrimmage, but he's smooth in terms of gearing up and getting downfield quickly behind cornerbacks. And when he and his route running is fairly smooth, so when he does get into the field like that, he can do a lot of the in cuts and he can do a lot of deep crosses and things like that that Allen looks to him for. But he used to be our number one wide receiver. So now that he's a mm-hmm. number two with Diggs drawing so much attention on the other side, it frees Brown up for a lot of choice matchups. And then when you're so busy, you're looking to the outside saying, okay, we can't get beat on either boundary. So our safeties can't get sucked down into the middle of this. That's when Cole Beasley sits down in the middle of any kind of zone defense you're trying to run and will just pick on your linebackers. And he, and, it, and it's all situational. We start that San Francisco Monday night game about a month ago and they came out and they said, we're going to play. We're not going to let anyone get behind us. We're going to play a very passive zone defense. Cole Beasley had 115 yards receiving in the first half because he just ate their linebackers alive. And so the second they tried to bring safeties into the box and take that away, that's when you saw them starting to roll Gabe Davis deep and starting to hit them with Stefan Diggs deep. And then, so with that in mind, they're just so multi-talented. And then they've got an Isaiah McKenzie that he 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 leads the NFL in snaps where he is brought on motion pre-snap. 
So he's this gadget guy that we brought around. As a number five wide receiver, he might be one of the best fifth wide receivers in the NFL. Oh, for sure. He's caught 30 out of 34 balls at wide receiver. That's ridiculously good. That's what I'm saying. He's just this little guy who you bring in. You have to pay attention to him for jet sweeps because they use him on so much pre-snap motion. But then in the San Francisco game, you saw Dable lull this team to sleep. With They brought him four, five, six, seven times on fake jet sweeps. And then one time they ran that formation again, except instead of handing it to him, they just waited for him to break into the secondary and then throw it to him. And he was wide open for a touchdown. Going back to Beasley for for just a second, he definitely having the best year of his career with 82 catches, but he's another one who's over 75%, 76.6% catch rate. That's otherworldly. I mean, nobody's supposed to do that. Maybe your top tight ends, you know, certainly running backs would have an opportunity to do it. But, uh, you know, it'd be someone who's, who's catching a lot of balls really short. And there's some of that. Beasley take, gets a lot of uh, of short balls, but they're short in the middle of the field, you know, likely to be contested, chance to be tipped, all of the things that can go wrong there as opposed to behind the line of scrimmage swing passes. Not to, how many wide receiver screens a big part of what Beasley has done this year? To be honest, no. That's the, that's one of the craziest things about how they've manufactured their yardage on offense is that there isn't a lot of screen game here. If, the, if, if we do run screens, it's usually a screen pass to Diggs or it's a screen pass to Isaiah McKenzie. They really focus on keeping Beasley in the middle of the field. And again, you want to talk about its trust factor. Josh Allen now trusts and his accuracy, he trusts Beasley to go make plays in those highly contested areas. And his accuracy has gotten to be such that he's now attempting passes that you know, before, if, he, if I were to watch him do it in 2019, both hands would be on the back of my head and I'd be yelling at the TV. Now he does it and nobody blinks because he's gotten so good at it. You're used to nothing bad happening. All right. Got to keep moving here, but this is great stuff. Uh, one thing uh, that, that really strikes me is all of these super high receiving percentages and of course Ja Allen's very high uh completion percentage are done despite the fact you play in Buffalo it's a very windy nasty environment even to play in September in Buffalo can involve some significant wind mm -hmm. no it can and I I think one of the things that the production that you're seeing speaks to how our offense is skewed though we I mean look at our personnel packages 11 personnel accounts for more than 70 percent uh, well I think it's like 78 percent of all of our snaps on offense is it 74 it's in the it's in the 70s it's in the 70s for 11 personnel and that's kind of dictated by our wide receiver talent that's where our talent on offense resides so you've got so many skilled players you want them out there we don't run much else that's the thing that can get us in trouble sometimes especially when you so it's always 11 never never 01 or 10 where you've got four wide receivers on the field well and this is an interesting wrinkle in 2019, we ran 10 personnel, less than 10 snaps, less than 10 snaps. Okay. Now, if you remember when you guys played us last year, okay, that remember that ill-fated play yeah. to end the game, you ran cover zero and just put Marcus Peters on John Brown because you knew he's the, only, the he's, the, <laughs> he's the only guy that we had as a real offensive threat. So we had no ability to run anything like four wide receiver sets. This season, we've run 15% of our total snaps on offense out of it, which speaks to out of four wide receivers, out of four wide receivers, which speaks to what they think of Gabe Davis as a mismatch on, you know, some other team's third or fourth DB and on linebackers safety. and safeties because yeah. he's six foot four, two twenty five with a big catch radius. 
he actually has outsnapped Cole Beasley this year by 110 reps. Amazing. Okay, Beasley spend. Oh, it doesn't matter. I I I just want to say something schematically about what this likely means against the Ravens. The Ravens have the cornerbacks to match up with the with the Bills. What they don't have is they really don't have the set of safeties to play dime. They have only two two safeties currently who've really played any snaps at all. They don't have anybody else they trust, and they dropped from 42.1% dime and quarter packages last year, this was six or seven defensive backs, to only 16.1% this year. Didn't play any at all of six-plus defensive backs against the Titans in that first game. That's not too surprising because the Titans play tight end. When I'm hearing you talking about the amount of 11 and the amount of 10 personnel being up near 90% for the whole year, Mm -hmm. that the Ravens will need to activate five cornerbacks and be ready to play a four-corner dime on a significant percentage of plays. Because it's the, the ultimate trap is to get caught with a safety or a linebacker trying to cover one of those slot wide receivers. You need to have four cornerbacks you can trust. No, absolutely. And that's where we've really killed teams this year is because we get them. It's almost like college football. And and there again, you look back to Brian Dable had two really unsuccessful stints in the NFL. Both. I, we actually were laughing about it last week because he's the only man unlucky enough. He coached for the Browns and then he called plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's the only human being unlucky enough to get Brady Quinn twice with two different teams in one career. Like, that guy was like a bad penny. He just couldn't get rid of him. And so when you look at the dubious quality of his quarterbacks, you could see what was happening. He just he couldn't craft an offense that worked. So then he goes to Alabama, which I'm actually watching them right now. I've got my, Alabama, I've got my Fear the Tide shirt on. Uh, you, you guys are familiar with the quality of players that come out of Alabama. You guys seem to, Somewhat. You guys seem to get the good ones. We seem, to draft the ones <laughs> we seem to draft the ones that don't pan out and end up getting traded. Mm-hmm. But so he goes to Alabama and he learns all of these complicated spread offense. He, he coaches for Alabama and he leads them to a national title the whole season, carrying two separate playbooks, one for one quarterback, one for the other, you know, one being Jalen hurts, one being two attack of Iola. Now they're both starters in the NFL, but they had two drastically different play styles. And he seemed to do better with the spread concepts that Tua tongue of Iola was running And so when he made the jump to the NFL, you could see him try to bring some of those with him. And he's finally able to orchestrate that, I think, the way that he wanted to, because he's got the talent on hand. It's a lot of spacing. And it's just saying, look, we're going to spread you out. We're going to get to the depth of your DB chart. And we're going to attack you there. Because I think that if I can space this play properly, and then I can go after Anthony Averett, or I can go after somebody who you're not paying more than five dollars a year to to play defensive back. I can make hay there, and I can make you shift away from your game plan enough that it'll free up one of my bigger guns. That that is the place where the Ravens are probably the best equipped to play Buffalo because they have five defensive backs they really trust. Uh, even Tremont Williams, who's 38 years old now, came from Green Bay at midseason, is a guy I think they trust to play slot. Uh, some here, what they don't have, and this has been the real killer. The Ravens have been beaten at inside linebacker just consistently because they've got Patrick Queen who's playing a lot of snaps and they've got really no one who understands anything about route concepts behind him. In fact, we, we just, I just taped another show on the defense for this game. And one of the plays we, we had to talk about for about five minutes was one where literally a tight end runs a yard behind Patrick Queen. And there's, there's this thing that goes off in his head. It's like, 
that's good. That means the the stadium's disintegration ray has killed him because there's <laughs> he's no longer a threat to be a receiver here. And it's just anything anything that goes past him is like I'm no longer responsible. Oh. And, and, and of course, he takes an immediate angle. And normally, I, I worry about the area between level and the two and level three being a you know just a ripe area for play action and whatnot. But anything behind those guys and board is the other one who's in a lot of those situations because he plays linebacker on third down um have just been terrible at really understanding recognizing anything that's going on behind them see in that and i think that could be problematic just because when you think about the way that this offense is built to operate we have a guy like gabe davis who essentially our tight end in terms of being an offensive playmaker our tight end coverage pretty bare Tyler Croft has been either hurt or on the COVID list now for a couple of weeks. He hasn't really been a contributor this year or really at all in his time here in Buffalo. Dawson Knox, I make the joke all the time that he's like a transformer, except where most transformers turn into cool race cars or rocket ships. <laughs> his hands turn into frying pans and everything he tries to catch just bounces out, like slides off from like Teflon. So he, but he's up and down. And he's not the most reliable player in terms of coming up with catches. I mean, Allen has worked with him a lot this year. They, we had a game where he had a really bad tipped pass that was intercepted. And Allen talked to him on the sideline and didn't abandon him, came right back to him. And he ended up having a nice game. But he's not reliable. So in that way, what they've started doing is utilizing Gabe Davis on some routes and some things that you would normally see from a tight end. They'll bring him inside and have, split him out, but have him attack the seam in the same way. And so in that way, we're able to manufacture a lot of that stuff you would see from tight ends, like you're talking about, getting behind the linebackers and hoping that there's a miscom between the safety and the linebacker in front of them. And if Queen has a problem with that, I can I would put money on them trying to attack that with Gabe Davis. Right. I, I would agree. I think that they'll certainly try and attack that. Every, every other team has that, that's tried to do it. The, the Ravens have an option on their practice squad. They can bring up a, a safety who played for the Vikings and Lions, J. Ron Curse, who's the nephew, I think, of Javon Curse. But anyway, is a guy that uh, is a, a hulking safety they could bring in that would, would be good at understanding what's going on behind him in terms of being on the middle of the field on third down. Very important to come back to the dime. Last year, the Ravens went to Buffalo. They played the dime defense and a lot, and they gave up a lot of rush yards to it. And this is one of the funny things. They, they gave up 87 yards on nine rushes to the dime defense, 8.7 yards per carry. And people said, oh, that's terrible. You can't do that. You can't play dime like that. Well, yeah, you can because they gave up seven yards on 20 snaps, 0.4 yards per snap on pass plays versus the dime. So it, it worked out in, in fine in total, but the Ravens have gotten away from their dime roots and they, they need to get back to it. And I think it will not be apparent any more time than it will be in this coming week against Buffalo. I mean, if they, if they don't, it sounds like Buffalo is the horses on that side of the ball. They definitely make some plays. I mean, obviously inclement weather, notwithstanding. I mean, I think that I, th I think I like this matchup. It's one of those games that you look at schematically and you just, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you. We wanted anybody but Baltimore. It was as Bills fans, we were sitting here. We said, "Okay, this this the the layout of the playoff bracket is great because we get Indy. We think Indy's a good matchup from you know oh, perspective yeah. because they didn't do anything great. They just have a really savvy veteran quarterback and worst team in the playoffs. Got nice, yeah, <laughs> it some nice pieces, but they don't have anything elite. And so you can yep. and that game got squirrely for us. 
but we we come away with a win, and now we're looking at the rest of these games going, we have the weekend. Okay, we're going to watch Tennessee and Baltimore beat each other up. Hopefully it's Tennessee because they have one of the worst defenses in the NFL right now, mm-hmm. which obviously doesn't bode well for you making it out of the first round of the playoffs, which is exactly what happened. You guys chewed them up in the ground and were able to come away with that victory. So then we're thinking, okay, well, everyone's a fan of Pittsburgh now tonight because we want to see Pittsburgh again. We'd much rather play this these guys because we beat them once already. And again, they showed why they don't belong here either. And so now we're facing you guys, and ultimately it's the one team that we didn't want to see. My co-host and I talked about it kind of at length when we did our play, uh, playoff bracket preview. That The problem with Baltimore is that schematically you guys are so much different than so many other football teams out there. So mm-hmm. whereas you guys can play our offense like a traditional offense, albeit one with some more wide receiver talent and maybe a little bit less at running back, you don't have to stack the box as much. You can focus on what I think is your strengths in the secondary. We look at your offense. Any any team that comes up against the Ravens has to take however many weeks of work and just you know, week over week, you're, you have a scheme for what you want to do on defense and you tweak it to fit the needs of you know what your opponent mm-hmm. requires. The Ravens require you to come up with a brand new plan. Throw it. Throw you have to rip up everything yeah. that you've done on on <laughs> the defensive side of the football, and that's a problem. We've seen that over the last month. This winning streak you guys are on. Coordinators don't know how to stop. I think one of the most bizarre statistical anomalies I'll ever see in my entire life is realizing that you guys had hung forty points on Cleveland, and then they showed. Lamar Jackson's passer stats going into the two minute warning and he has seven completions and I paused it and I took a picture of it. I think I tweeted it out. It's like, what the heck is going on around here? What universe do we live in? Yeah. You, you, you just, we expect in today's NFL for it to all be about the passing game and that, that game in particular had nine rushing touchdowns in it. And they talked about that a little bit on air. It was kind of fun. Let's move on though. Cause we're, we're kind of, we're, we're, we're kind of dogging it, which is always the case, Drew, cause I love to talk oh, football course. with you, but we, we need to move on and, and talk more. So running backs, obviously the injury to Moss is going to hurt. Who, who will get most of the carries for, uh, this is going to be the Singletary show, and there's a debate going on in the Bills fan community over who they want to see active behind him. They, we have T.J. Yeldon, who is the he, he's a I shouldn't say journeyman; he's in his second place now. He's been with the team; this is his second year, and he set the our GM set the fan base on fire pre-draft when he called T.J. Yeldon a three-down back, and people started pulling their hair out, going, "What is our GM talking about? Is he drinking?" He the three down back in the NFL. He's a big guy who's kind of an up he's six foot two, which is tall for a running back. He's not the most physical player, and he runs kind of upright, which is a problem. He's got some ball security issues that I know has gotten him in the doghouse with Sean McDermott. And behind them, though, it's interesting in the Miami game we played in week 17, when we just blew them off of the field. We brought up this practice squad running back, who I believe at this point. If in a game with inclement weather, you want every running back you can pretend, you can possibly get on active on the field. He's 5'11", 215 pounds. Antonio Williams out of UNC. He was an undrafted free agent rookie. And he ran, he spent all year just on the practice squad, practicing with the team. And then they finally let him touch the field in week 17. And the man was a wrecking ball. I, I think he had almost as many yards after, I think he almost had a 50-50 split between yardage and yards after contact. It was it was impressive. Finished the day with two total touchdowns. 
there was a couple plays. I think he had a, a long catch and run of 20 yards where it was a three yard pass. And we don't do a lot of running back screen. He took that, but his physicality allowed him to just blow through the linebacking core of Miami. I have a feeling that he's going to be active and get some snaps. And if anything, that's interesting because whereas you know, we talked a little bit off air before we started, Singletary relies on contact balance. He's not a burner. He, you're not going to see a lot of stretch running plays with him because he just doesn't have the speed to hit it. And his, I think, time to the line of scrimmage is one of the biggest in the NFL. He's a patient runner, but almost patient to a fault. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have a ton of top-end speed. So what you get is this smaller running back who will do some nice things for you. To your point, he had 80, he had 70 something, almost 80 yards himself against your team in that uh, 2019 matchup. Mm -hmm. But he can't, I think one game this year, he was asked to carry the load on his own and not do the running back by committee approach. And I think he had 70 yards. It was nothing special, 70 yards and a touchdown, but it was one of those gimme goal line type things. And even there, they, they don't really trust him. They would rather run with Josh Allen in those situations, which tells you what you need to know about our running back. group. <laughs> Introducing the Lowe's list for innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry first two in one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right. Well, that's it may not be the greatest strength, certainly, of the Bills. It may be a place where the Ravens will choose to go light. They have, they're going to have to make some difficult choices on defense. I think one of them is they're going to have to activate that third safety, which may mean they deactivate and go down to only four defensive linemen. I think that's risky anytime in the NFL, but they can do it. And if they do, they, they'd be, you know, basically committing to play a lot of nickel, which it should end up be against anyway, against 11 and 10 personnel sets is you're going to be playing nickel or more defensive backs, which means you only need to play two defensive linemen. Uh, I just, I, I don't, I don't see a reason why they would absolutely have to activate a fourth lineman for this oh, sorry a fifth lineman for this game do you do you see a different do you have a difference of opinion on that is this a you know this is a standard three four defense where in their base they're using three yeah, i think that at that point i don't think you'd need more than four i mean if you guys are really just if what you're trying to do is free up and i mean just based on the blitz numbers and things i looked at it seems like that's the way you guys are set up um you guys get a lot of your pass rush from the outside linebacking group so that's right the defensive ends i mean as long as you have a rotational guy, you should be set. You could probably get away with just four. I'd say so. Okay. All right. So anyway, hopefully, hopefully a lot of nickel in this game. I'm really hoping we see J. Ron Curse because I think it would be a difference in how this game is played that I'd be really excited to see. Uh, let's talk about the offense in general. Do they? They? You already talked about them preferring to run out of 11 personnel with a with a heavy dose of 10 this year, which really does put an extra onus on having that uh, fifth defensive back and four who can really play, who you can really mm. trust uh, to be ready to go. No, it's, it's, they don't have, I'll tell you what we don't do, because I really do think that our offense versus your defense is the matchup of the game. I mean, that's, that's where this thing's going to get mm-hmm. won and lost. One of the things you see from the bills and it's to the frustration of fans all season long is that we don't have an ability to run even when we want to, to run with any sort of power. When they built and that and that goes down to the construction of this line. When they built the line, it, I think for the first six weeks we didn't have 
the same starting five. Some of that was due to injury, but some of it was just due to coaches rotating players around, rotating players in and out, trying to determine what their best group was going to be. And I think what they decided after seeing what everybody had to bring to the table, I mean, they even went down to the, you know, they went through their starting five, then they went to their sixth option. They rotated in some depth guys. Right now we have Ike Bakker, who last year was on our practice squad. He's starting right now just because they feel he brings a little bit better at left guard in pass protection than whatever anybody else had to offer. You, What they've decided to defer to is that instead of rushing with any sort of power, they wanted an offensive line that could pass protect really well because they figured that's where our talent is at wide receiver. We might as well find a way to feed that. And so they kind of eschewed any kind of physicality on the offensive line. We have one, uh, John Feliciano is probably the most physical offensive lineman we have. He doesn't get to the second level routinely. He's not He's not that athletic. And our tight ends don't run block well. I mean, they're average. So all in all, when you look at how we run, we have no choice but to spread you out and try to run against it simply because we don't have the physical presence at the line to get it done out of any kind of power concepts, which is why the weather in this game is so concerning to a lot of Bills fans everywhere. Sorry, I do have a problem with my microphone. My, my, the, the point I was making here is that there's no shame in 11 personnel in general. It's, a, it's the preferred uh, mode of all offenses league-wide, including offensive coordinators who want to run. They, te- they tend to like to run out of 11 personnel. And you know it's, it's, it's just the norm. The problem is that in a place like Buffalo where the weather can get inclement, you're not in Atlanta. You're not in a dome stadium somewhere else where, uh, you know, you have an opportunity to uh, make the weather exactly what you want. The weather is what it is, and it can burn. No, absolutely. And so I think that I just think this game as a whole has – they're going to have to get creative with how they rotate those personnel groups around. I think you're going to get a healthy dose of Gabe Davis because he's a guy who, unlike a Cole Beasley, he can get out there with his size and be an asset running on the interior when you can get a guy like a Lee Smith out there who can block pretty well on the edge, he's, he's essentially a glorified offensive lineman. He offers you nothing in, in the way of offense, except for the fact that sometimes they do, for some reason, decide to get cute and throw him the ball. And he's it's it's like watching a bear at the circus try to ride a tricycle. He just he has a heck of a time. <laughs> he has a heck of a time trying to look like a receiver. So... <laughs> so it's it's just horribly unnatural for him. But so Gabe Davis blocking out of the slot does a really nice job, especially on smaller DBs. And so that would be one of those wrinkles where if you guys do decide to go lighter up front and you they can get you into more dime, they can still probably chip away at that as long as Gabe Davis brings his big boy pants. All right. Uh, we did not talk through the offensive line. Why don't you take us quickly from left to right on who the guys are, maybe their main character. Left to right, you got Deion Dawkins, who is a, he's grown into a really well-rounded left tackle. He's He's gotten his game to a point where he does really well with both speed and power rushers. He can fight off both pretty routinely. You have to be one of the league's better 
defensive ends at this point to get the best of him on a, on a routine basis. Um, and next to him is Ike Bakker, who last year was on the practice squad, and the team likes him a lot. I, he's there because we lost Cody Ford, who was kind of a ma- former second-round draft pick who became a man without a job. His rookie year, he was a right mm-hmm. tackle, and he split snaps 50-50 with Ty Insecki, who is a journeyman, weird story that he's 34 but only has three seasons of NFL experience. So they split the tackle, <laughs> right tackle job 50-50 down the middle all of last year. They decided that he's not a right tackle. Now that they br- they brought in Daryl Williams and they decided, whoa, that's what a real tackle looks like? Okay, you can't do that job, Cody. you got to kick inside. And then he wasn't great at that either. <laughs> and then he got hurt, and that was the end of it. So they bring up this kid, Ike Bakker. He, again, he's okay. He's a serviceable pass protector. He doesn't offer you a ton in the run game. Mitch Morse, I will say, is one of the best pass protecting centers in football right now. He's taken on some really stiff competition over the course of this season, and he's handled it really well in terms of just not just the pressures he allows because he doesn't allow many, but the the thing he does is he knows how Josh likes to move in the pocket. He kind of has this feel for where Josh is going just based on the defensive alignment, where pressure is starting to develop, and he does a really good job of just making sure that he can deflect guys so that if Josh can't step up in the pocket, he knows he can at least clear a lane for him to escape. He does that really well. Feliciano, Morse is a technician too, which is kind of in contrast to the guy on his right at right guard, John Feliciano, who is the caveman of the group. He plays with a lot of power at the line of scrimmage. He anchors real well. He can you can run behind him to a certain degree. He's probably our best run blocking offensive lineman. And he's he's got some sandpaper to him. He's nasty. If there's somebody, you know, you're gonna see a couple times during the game, there's gonna be a scuffle and there's gonna be some pushing and shoving going on after the whistle. Nine times out of ten, it's gonna be John Feliciano in there pushing somebody because he didn't like the way they looked at his quarterback or he didn't like something they said. And then at right tackle, you have Daryl Williams, who former all pro who again got sent to the scrap heap. And you're watching him have kind of a re- massive rebound season. He went toe-to-toe with T.J. Watt, somebody you guys are very familiar with. He went toe-to-toe with T.J. Watt when we played them on Sunday Night Football. And to the f- massive frustration of both him and Steelers fans and the Steelers coaching staff, he got the better of T.J. Watt all night long. There was maybe one play where Watt burned him, and it was on kind of an outside-in move where he just chopped his hands away and then was able to beat him with speed off the shoulder. But outside of that, he couldn't get around him. He couldn't get through him. He just neutralized T.J. Watt for the majority of the game. So I think in their totality as a unit, the sum is better than the <laughs> than its individual parts because they really do pass protect very well around Josh Allen. You just can't expect any of them to get any push. Okay, so here's my question for for this. The Ravens use all kinds of scheme to get pressure. A lot of blitzes and a lot of stunts. In particular, recently, they've been very successful with their stunts. They've got good under guys who can convert an under or pick into the into the actual sack, meaning that when the second block peels off, they have a big advantage. Or they also got good loopers that are quick in terms of all the outside linebackers they can put on the field. What's the gap the Ravens should be targeting uh, in terms of of the most likely for stunts to not be handled properly? I mean, if there was somewhere you'd want to attack, I'm thinking about this because I'm, I'm just thinking about the way our offensive line is set up. 
I'm thinking because it's not going to be the B gap because Bakker and Dawkins really do well off of each other. They play as left tackle, left guard. They really do communicate well, and they do a nice job. I think it's one of the reasons Bakker is getting such run that he is for being a former practice squad guy, is that he seems to have an understanding of that with Dawkins. They know how to trade off properly. They know how to communicate assignments pre-snap. If anything, it would probably be between Bakker and Morse. So you'd have to come right up the middle. And the problem with that is that anybody, first of all, you got to have someone who's really top shelf. You're either going to have to come with a lot of speed, power, both. <laughs> it's going to be hard because Morse, he'll catch you. And the other thing is just Allen's recognition of it has gotten so much better that when you do attack up the middle, because our tackles are really hard to get around, you're going to bring some of those stunts and you're going to try to do it up the middle of the offense but if Allen sees you, he has no problem rolling out off the shoulder of his tackles or past one of his guards. And once he gets out there, a lot of times that's where he's been able to make plays with his legs and extend often enough to find a guy like Stefan Diggs or find a Cole Beasley who sits down behind your linebackers. So, I mean, I think if that's the case, you do want to try to attack that combination of Bakker and Morse. That's where you're probably going to be the most successful. All right. All right. Very interesting. Let's flip it to the defensive side because we are running <laughs> a little bit behind here. But the first thing I always like to do is talk about the most common base and pass defense looks. So what's the most common base look for Buffalo when it's a when it's a potential running down? And then specifically, I'm looking for against 21 or 12 personnel, which are going to be the most common the Raven, things that for the Ravens to run. One of the problems, I mean, we run our base defense is 4-3. Um, we put a Sam linebacker out there in AJ Klein. It's interesting because there were... So the Colts at times in last week's game would go to some two wide receiver, double tight end looks. And even with that on the field, knowing that they were going to try to run with this extremely talented rookie, Jonathan Taylor, our Sam linebacker, AJ Klein only played three snaps. So they really didn't feel like they had to utilize him because they figured our linebackers, our safeties, the way we're going to cover this, we can hem this running back in. And we held him under 100 yards, which is something not a lot of people have done lately. It So it's interesting to see how they often feel like they can, they can play heavy doses of nickel defense and still get away with both covering the run and the pass well. Okay, so in, in the 4-3, in this particular case, Sam is replaced by slot corner. Uh, and you're staying with four defensive linemen on the field for every play. So it would have been Klein coming off and mm -hmm. slot quarter yeah. coming on. All right, very good. So Klein's had a pretty good year as a pass He's rusher, right? He's had an okay year. Klein's one of these weird characters where he was, like most of my draft takes, because I'm terrible at draft prognostication. I mean, I could, I could put out an anti-draft guide. if they. If, I, I really dislike the pickup of A.J. Klein. He didn't offer much of anything out of the gate. He was more of a liability than anything. And because our linebacker core suffered some injuries early on in this season, we saw a lot more of A.J. Klein than I think we wanted to. But you saw him settle in as he got more comfortable and the season went on. And you know, th there was a point here by, I want to say it was the Kansas City game. By that point, he was playing 80 to 70% of the snaps in a game because Matt Milano was out. And over that stretch, you saw him start to become more of a pass rusher. I mean, he had a streak of games against some pretty stiff competition, the Seattle Seahawks, the Arizona Cardinals, the Chargers, where he, in that condensed space, he had four and a half sacks. And that was when, and that kind of, and his sack streak ended when he stopped seeing significant run because Matt Milano was healthy 
and they were playing more pass-heavy teams, so they pulled him off the field. He, I, I make the point constantly. Last year, we did this show together, and I said that Lorenzo Alexander was going to be a liability for us because he didn't have the ability to be both a pass rusher and a force against the run. And I ate a boatload of crow because he had his best game in a Bills uniform because it's exactly what he was utilized as, is just stay here at the line of scrimmage when they go when the Ravens go heavy, be this Sam linebacker, but you're going to have to give us something as a pass rusher, and you're going to have to do multiple things, because if they do decide to hit the flats with running backs or tight ends, you're still going to have to be responsible for that. It's going to be interesting to see if they trust A.J. Klein in that role, because that's going to dictate whether you guys see more of our nickel defense, or if you guys see them play more base, and just trust that you can't abuse him in coverage. Well, that's it. This is an interesting point because the Ravens effectively, by loading up on heavier personnel and only putting two receivers on the field, should force Klein to be on the field or a yep. different Sam linebacker. Oh, he's all but we the, have. The, that's how the thin thing we is are that, linebacker. He's literally all we have. I mean, I think okay. he, I I would say he's a player the Ravens target. And here's why I want to tell Ravens fans because you'll understand this. Patrick Queens had a big, lousy rookie year as a tackler. Just terrible. He's got a 16.5% missed tackle rate. A.J. Klein, 18.5%. And that's, go by, that's going by the pro football mm -hmm. reference numbers. Uh, so it's uh, that's pretty bad uh, in terms of, of doing that. And it's the, against the run game, that is, well, that's, that's where it can really hurt. Early on, he was leading the team week over week in missed tackles. It was brutal to watch him try to play football. And I there, there was people who questioned whether or not he should even be out there. But when you look at the makeup of our linebacker core this year, we said it in the preseason that it was the most glaring weakness of this entire team in terms of lack the lack of NFL caliber depth. And when you look at the snap counts for the Buffalo Bills on defense, that kind of lays out for you because what you have is you have Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano who ate up. Well, Milano missed time with injury. So he played 31% of the snaps. Tremaine Edmonds played 85% of all defensive snaps. Klein comes in at 60 and there's not another linebacker who had more than seven. That would tend to eat up every snap you've got on defense if you're playing a fair amount of nickel with that. That's everybody. That's, that's everybody. Nobody, even when Matt Milano went out, I, I mean, we have one, two, three linebackers who did nothing but play special teams. They're just, and when you think about that, people mm -hmm. go, oh, well, no, it's because so-and-so was doing such a good job. No, it's because they're just so they're they're pure special teams linebackers. You you would never put them out there in a starting capacity, and so it's kind of hairy when you think about how we're going to try to rotate those guys and match up against you. Let's talk about the front four. Get back to some rotations. So talk about the uh, about the defensive front and who you have there and how they rotate snaps among them is is, is always a topic I have. Our great defensive line in. under Sean McDermott since he got here, he's made it a focal point. There is no de facto, even though you think you know from a talent standpoint who your starters are, quote unquote. What you see is a pretty fair rotation, and it bears out in the numbers. Jerry Hughes is probably our most tenured pass rusher. He's playing fifty eight percent of the snaps. Mario Addison's been mixed in both at linebacker. They almost use him like an outside linebacker and he comes in and kind of plays. If they go to like a four, three overlook, they'll bring him in to kind of play almost as a Sam linebacker, but he's purely at the line of scrimmage. He's only out there to add pass rush. Um, I mean, our defensive ends have rotated. There isn't a defensive tackle that has a overwhelming majority of the snaps. This is as pure of a rotation as you can get. Although one of the interesting wrinkles, you know, when, when you take a look at our defensive tackles, 
they were, when you look at the Bills' defense, let's start there. The Bills' defense was porous for a majority of this season, especially early on. We gave up a lot of yardage, especially on the ground. They've sort of, and some of that just speaks to the line play acclimating in a COVID-shortened season. There wasn't, a, there wasn't a preseason. There wasn't a lot of contact in training camp. So what you saw is defensive lines pretty much around the league, unless you were a top unit, really kind of struggling to acclimate, especially on a team like us that added four new pieces. So as the season wore on, you saw some of these guys start to really get it. And as they did, they started keeping our linebackers cleaner, which resulted in less output from running backs. One of the guys who's almost solely responsible for that is Vernon Butler. Vernon Butler was a former first-round draft pick of Brandon Bean when he was the assistant GM for the Carolina Panthers and when Sean McDermott was the defensive coordinator there. So they were very familiar with him. They brought him in, but he was sold to us as fans as a penetrating three technique. And instead, when he got here, they didn't... The team did a really bad job of uh, preparing for Star Latule. He was our only one tech, and he opted out. And we Mm -hmm. were left with this gaping hole in the middle of our defensive line because we had all these penetrators, but we had nobody to just stand up and occupy bodies. Vernon Butler is the biggest man, but I watched him play the first month and a half of football and he was playing patty cake with everyone. I saw he was, he was thinking more than he was playing. And I mean, you, you watched him. There was a game against, I think it was the Raiders where Darren Waller, who's, who's a wide receiver. Darren Waller is not a blocking tight end. Knocked him. Raven switched him from wide receiver to tight end. So he yeah, we knocked. Know. He knocked um, Vernon Butler to the ground in a running play, and I'm left standing there going, "That's a defensive tackle. What are you doing? What? <laughs> You're 340 something pounds." Over the last month, he's really started to play like it. Especially, I think the most uh, the biggest game for him was against the Steelers, where he single handedly was beating. He was commanding double teams and in some cases beating them in the running game. Now, I know you guys have a very aggressive running plan. And there's, I think Vernon Butler, he's going to help. It's just one of these things where the rest of our D tackles, because there's, because all you have is three techs, they get upfield very quickly, but they can be taken advantage of in terms of misdirection plays. We've watched plays where Ed Oliver will overrun a play abandon a lane and the running back cuts back into it for a sizable gain. Those are the types of things that our defensive line is susceptible to. And this team might be one of the worst to try to match up in that regard. Okay. Oliver is a player I want to get back to because I loved him in the draft to, I guess, 2019. He was a draft pick. You guys got him number eight overall. In the uh, we got him number nine in 2019. Uh, he was he was taken one pick after the Lions inexplicably drafted their third first round tight end in the last ten years. <laughs> yeah, Hockenstein or somebody, whoever, <laughs> anyway, whoever it was. Yeah, we got him, uh, and he has been he's maturing. That's what I can say about him. Okay, so just a second year, still not still not at the level you would have hoped from in terms of really a first round draft pick that high. You probably hope well, he'd be a pro yeah, bowler by now. Yeah, you would hope he would be a pro bowler. And one of the things that you see from him, I mean, he's getting better. He's getting more consistent, I think, if there's anything. But one of the things that I don't like is that when you look at what he was sold as, is, I mean, he's second on the team in pressures. He's got 17, which isn't bad. He's got three sacks, which, again, not bad. He's got 10 quarterback hurries on the season. I mean, I'm just looking at his numbers. But in terms of what else he brings to you, he also misses almost 12% of his tackles. 
And so for a penetrating hmm. defensive lineman, that's problematic that you you're getting into the backfield. You just don't bring people down on a routine basis, which is a problem. And you'd expect a player drafted, I guess, and that's one of the things that's frustrated the fan base is that when you see a guy drafted that high, you expect him to bring a little bit more in terms of pass rush. And instead, what uh, he's still maturing in that regard. He's becoming more consistent, but he's still not the he's not a player that opposing defensive offensive coordinators have to game plan for yet. He's just not at that point. And his normal spot, excuse me, is a, a one or a three, a three or where, where does he usually and line He up? comes in, he kind of plays off of the, in fact, I want to say more often than not, it depends on the matchup, but he plays predominantly, if you're thinking about it from the left, uh, I want us to know the right, the right D tackle spot is usually his. He likes to try to, because his speed, he can usually cut off that shoulder between the center and the guard. And that's where he tries to do most of his work. He's he flashes every game, but at the same time, he hasn't had a dominant game this year, and so uh, you you just kind of wonder. You have to assume it's probably not coming, not anytime soon, anyway. So we we've hit on several tackling problems for the defense in general. Who are the good tacklers who really make up for that? Who are the real stars tackling wise? Well, if you take a Bills? look at it, I mean, again, AJ Klein has gotten better, but if you're talking about missed tackles, he's leading the team handily, even though he hasn't missed one in a month. That just speaks to how bad he was. But Tremaine Edmonds is also up there in terms of the sheer volume. But both of those guys have gotten better as the season has went on, and the defensive line play in front of them has gotten better. Jerry Hughes is a guy. He's starting to show his age a little bit. He, he's a 32-year-old defensive end. He can do. He's consistent. He can do some things well, but then there's things like missing tackles in the open field where he used to excel at that, and now he has one of the highest missed tackle rates on the team at almost 30%. So he's, he's a liability out there in that regard, and I think that that has played a hand in where you've seen them starting to opt to give more more run to guys like Mario Addison or AJ Epinesa starting to get in there and eat up some of Jerry Hughes's snaps. I think they just look at that and they say, you're good on passing downs. We're going to start to phase you out of the early down stuff and we'll kind of see how the game flow goes. I think our secondary probably does the best job tackling, which is, and it explains the run defense numbers, why we're so low in terms of the overall NFL, but our secondary tackles really well. I mean, both of our safeties come downhill really aggressively. Our cornerbacks are pretty sound and they're pretty active. The only one who's not is Levi Wallace. And he's our second cornerback. Mm-hmm. And he's he's the reason you're going to see the Bills draft a cornerback in the with one of their top two picks next year. Hmm. Okay. Uh Let's talk about how the Ravens, sorry, the Bills will go about defending Jackson, Brown, Andrews, and some of the Ravens' <laughs> speed this week. Did you just say defend Jackson? That, that's, a, that's hilarious. Well, sure. You have to try. You have to try. <laughs> I, I honestly foresee a game plan really similar to what we did last year, which is tough because it's one of those things. You show an offensive coordinator at least one worth their salt the same defense twice. They can do some things against that. You see it a lot in divisional matchups. We have a lot of the same personnel on hand that we had last season when we played you guys. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of 4-3 defense, maybe even 4-3 over the, the, with them bringing in an extra you know, Mario Addison to play that Sam linebacker role occasionally. 
because he does provide a better presence at the line of scrimmage than AJ Klein does, even if he's not as rangy. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of single high safety looks. I think one thing that this team is going to try to do, because it when you, when I watch, at least to my eye, you probably know better than I do, but as I watch Lamar Jackson play quarterback, his passing is re- he's very deliberate with the passing. It's something that has to be almost orchestrated. There's a lot of heavy lifting that goes into building up that passing attack. And a lot of it has to be, he sees it, he knows what it is. It's, I don't want to say scripted, but he's got one or two reads. And then if they're not there, he takes off. I think what you're going to see from the Bills is they're going to bring a lot of safeties and they're going to bring kind of a front seven presence. They're going to pack that box. Because one thing our safeties do better than almost any safety tandem in the NFL is they we can disguise what our coverages are because of the way our safeties are super athletic in the fact that they can come right down into the linebacker spot and still drop to the deep parts of the field for coverage. And so in that way, it makes it super hard for quarterbacks to diagnose what we're, what we're doing. We tried to play a zone like that against Phillip Rivers, though, and we watched him use his kind of veteran savvy. I mean, when you've been around for as long as him, he knew what the coverages were, and he found the soft spots in our zone. They're probably going to dare Lamar Jackson to do the same thing Phillip Rivers just did. They're going to say, look, we're going to you're not going to get behind us, but we're going to roll our safeties around. We're going to move pre-snap. We're going to try to change the picture on you from pre-snap to post-snap on a play-to-play basis, dare you to check into more runs so that we can come downhill with our DBs and try to tackle you around the line of scrimmage. And when you do throw, just make sure you can't forecast where our guys are going to be. In what Are they are the Bills more of a man or zone team? We're primarily zone. I mean, we will play man from time to time. Okay. But one of the things that we have is this giant liability in a guy named Levi Wallace, our second cornerback. He is, he's a, he's a thin, especially thin in the lower body defensive back. He has no real chutzpah. That's what you want to call it. Big physical wide receivers give him fits. He's just, he's not good at it. All he can really do is play off ball coverage. And so in that way, it makes it hard for us to try to do some of the man pressure, you know, man coverage pressure concepts that you'd like to see McDermott rotate. I mean, perfect example. Last year we had Kevin Johnson corner, a former first round draft pick of the Houston Texans in our roster. We would rotate Levi Wallace off the field and bring Kevin Johnson in anytime we wanted to blitz because we knew he, Levi Wallace couldn't play man, but you were almost tipping your hand to the opposing offensive coordinator. That blitz was coming. They've right. tried to get away from that this year and just let Levi Wallace do it, but he's not very good. Whereas Trey white, he's, he's elite at whatever he does, whether it's man, whether it's zone, so it gives them some options, but you're going to see heavy dosages of zone and they do like to play, you know, they'll, they'll run cover two every now and again, they'll throw in some cover three with a robber and that can get some teams in trouble. Okay. That'll, that'll be interesting to see. Certainly Jackson in, in recent weeks, certainly during the win streak, first of all, all the passing numbers have been up with many, many fewer passes. The rate statistics have been up. And, and a lot of that is Jackson, wait, 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 wait to throw, but being very confident about maneuvering around behind the line of scrimmage, waiting for passes to uh, open up. That's that's an extremely productive Jackson. We can do that. Jackson's incredible red zone percentages, and I know you probably heard these, but he's, he's thrown something like 45 touchdown passes and zero interceptions in the red zone so far in his career, which is the record to start anybody's career, most without a interception. most of that is because the Ravens don't run any sort of fade route. Everything they do 
is is predicated on Jackson roving the pocket from left to right until he finds a direct throwing lane to a receiver. And that'll greatly reduce the the, the risk of those things. So that, that's where the question really arose from. I think that, that Jackson is probably someone who can uh, – this version of Jackson that we've seen for several weeks now is probably someone who can take advantage of having more time behind the line of scrimmage. Well, and that's interesting because I think one of the other things that we did last year, and you're probably going to see a healthy dose of this week, the Bills, you guys, so you guys lead the NFL in blitz percentage. Mm-hmm. Percentage of defensive snaps, you blitz. You're, uh, what, 290, I believe? The Bills are eighth at 230, but we have just one fewer sack than you. So I found that I found that to be interesting. When we blitz, we there's, there's only two ways we'd go about doing it. And they like it because if you look at the sizes of the players involved and the speed, Matt Milano is a very quick mm-hmm. guy, a little bit smaller. He can get small in holes. He's slippery. Tremaine Edmonds is 6'5", 255. I, he, there, there are defensive ends who are just slightly heavier than him. I mean, in the draft, a lot of people thought he could be an outside linebacker and be a pass rusher. One of the things you'll see the Bills do on plays where they don't want Lamar Jackson having the time to sit back there and throw They'll bring both of those linebackers directly into the A gap. Set, set them they up there, walk. simulate pressure. Yep. Well, and here's the thing: it's you don't know when, you don't know where, but they'll do this over the course of the game, where it's just a constant theme of you see them kind of lining up in that mm-hmm. A gap, and then you wait, you wait, you wait, you snap the ball. One of them is coming. I mean, Tremaine Edmonds is the most highly blitzed player on the team, with 73 of them. I mean, now he's only got two sacks to show for it, but he's got some pressures. He's got some quarterback hits and knockdowns. He's highly effective because of his size. Him coming up the A-gap, he kind of delays, and when he can come on a delay up the A-gap, quarterbacks panic because there's this massive sure. guy who's super athletic and rangy coming through the middle of the field. If, if he's not untouched, then you still can't get enough of him to stop him, and it really does force quarterbacks off their spot, so to say. So the op- I think that the odds of him having a ton of clean pockets to throw from, which I know that's not exactly the forte of his game anyway, but I do think that those long downfield opportunities, they're going to be hard to come by because you're going to see a lot of that. And so I think, if anything, your offensive coordinator is going to try to get him out of the Yeah, but it's, I think that's probably true, too. I, the fourth and five play against Cleveland that, that uh, where Jackson came back out of the bathroom to, to make the big pass, he definitely <laughs> rolled right from six-man pressure. And they only had five blocking six. Ravens only had five blocking six, but that's okay. They all got lost in the wash on the inside with the Ravens blocking it up well. Jackson was allowed to roll right, then uses that gravitational pull to bring people towards him, which left Brown wide open on the on the back end of that play, of course. He's, he's had very good success throwing against heavy pressure looks recently. I, I, he, they've, which team was it? It was the Bengals ran their first 7-0 blitz, a seven-man blitz, after running all fours up to that point in the game. Immediately, 18-yard touchdown pass to Brown right away. So it's it's I, I don't think he's the same skittish player that people have mm-hmm. seen before in this regard. That he's that he's, you know, I, I think of that as more giving you give trouble to a dedicated pocket quarterback with that you know ryan Tannehill, maybe who's not quite as mobile you'd have a better chance with well and that's why i think it's going to be so interesting to see how the bills utilize that blitz because we don't do it i mean we do it and it's tough because we our front four doesn't generate a ton of natural pressure Mm -hmm. 
So you kind of have to blitz. You saw us throwing a lot of blitzes at Phillip Rivers at the end of this playoff game, trying to rattle him, and it wasn't working. <laughs> it wasn't working. Get rid of the ball too quick. Well, and that's it, because he's this savvy quarterback who understands, hey, I'm ancient. I'm not taking any contact. I'll get the ball. I'll find a way to get the ball out of here. And so with that, I, we they, they'll bring it off the edge, you know, either with Teron Johnson or Jordan Poyer. So whenever you see them in the box, the odds are pretty good they're coming. They don't fake from – we never bring blitzes from all the way in the back. You know, I've, I know Jamal Adams has done a mm-hmm. ton of it this year where he stays in the natural safety position, and then he'll come on like a blitz in the A-gap that's much delayed. Never. You're never going to see that from our they, defense. They mostly up because the line they, of scrimmage before they blitz on if it's from safety? Before they blitz. You're going to see that. So you'll see the safety in the box prior to them blitzing. Otherwise, they're just going to stay at home and try to keep the lid on the defense because the, the thing is they, they are the ultimate bend but don't break defense. Lots of blitzes off the slot or not? Teron Johnson is one of our higher blitzers. I mean, I want to say he's fourth on the team in the number of blitzes. We don't do it a ton, but when we do do it, he's it's him and Jordan Poyer both coming from that same kind of... They're trying to capitalize on the attention being paid to Mario Edison and Jerry Hughes from that uh, left defensive end spot, mm-hmm. and they're trying to bring that around. Okay, very interesting. Outstanding stuff, Drew, always is when we talk to you. Give us one player you think matches up particularly well against the Ravens. I, we don't do score predictions on this show, but but just a player who you think matches up particularly well against the Ravens. Well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to, I know we talked about him earlier, but it's going to be Gabe Davis. I think he's, and for me, he's actually, we talked about it in our podcast. He's the X factor in this game for me. I mean, how Dable is able to utilize him and get him free. You guys have some amazing cornerbacks. You have some of the NFL's best. And I think some easily the, I'd say, if not the best top two or three cornerback rotation in the AFC. Mm -hmm. So with that said, in the middle of the field, there's mismatches to be had. He's 6'4", 225, and he's had some monster games. I mean, he's averaging more than, what, 19 yards per catch six times this season, including last week. So he's a guy that Allen's okay throwing down the field to because of his size and his catch radius. He's got really impressive body control and hands. You go back to that Colts game. Three of his catches last week against Indy, each required video review because it was just an absurd catch near the sidelines that you're thinking to yourself, there's no way anyone can make that. And yet there he is, dragging the toes, toe tapping. He knows exactly where the sideline is. And he's been doing that all season. But the country finally got to see it for the first time. And so he's finally starting to get some recognition for that. There's a lot of veteran wide receivers who don't have his feel for the boundary and how to use his size that he has when he's out there against every DB he's going to play. There's nobody who can outsize him for a ball, and he does a really good job of beating guys to a spot like that. And he really is a matchup nightmare for smaller slot DBs and slower interior linebackers. I mean, the guy is 192 yards in his last two games. Okay, I'm noticing now, Look, just looking at the things, that the wide receivers on the Bills have about 3,400 total snaps, and the quarterbacks, which is usually the best indication of total plays, have about... 1150 so there's a very high percentage of 11 personnel and obviously if they're playing any heavy at all they got to play a lot mm-hmm. of that 10 that goes with it so I, it's good education on the bills here very interesting stuff in terms of just how wide receiver heavy they might be and uh, and we'll see how that goes gabe davis your your player you think can can affect the ravens then i mean just keep Take this in mind. Stefan Diggs, he's a pro bowler for the first time in his career, 1,500 yards and eight touchdowns. 
Gabe Davis is second on the team with seven touchdowns. So even though he's only got 599 total yards, he makes plays and he's one of those mismatches. Like remember what I said earlier about the tight end Mm -hmm. and how we don't really have a tight end that we rely on. He's kind of become that when we get in the red zone because he's such a mismatch in the middle of the field for safeties and linebackers. So that's, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. All right. Fascinating stuff. Drew, we want to talk to tell people where they can find your work, your Twitter handle, anything else you want to plug while you're on the show here. Uh, we're always bumming around on Twitter at Rockpile Report. You can come check out our podcast. If you're interested in the AFC East, you can come check out our AFC East roundup show. I host podcasters and writers and bloggers from around the division. You know, we bust chops. We drink some beer. We a lot of beer. <laughs> talk a little trash. It's a lot of fun. It, it's, it's a fun kind of freewheeling show that we do that. I, I mean, it, again, I couldn't have picked a better year to start it, but just a lot of fun little projects we're taking on over there over the next uh couple months especially as we ramp up towards draft season how do, how do you go in terms of your frequency of content during the off season during the off season we stick with it we do every week um every week we'll p- keep producing two shows just because i have an illness and it's an obsession with football and i can't drone about it to my wife because she doesn't care <laughs> so i gotta talk to somebody all right I, I'm, I'm very fortunate i have to say thank you maureen for being my partner in scoring the offensive line play with the Ravens and doing all you do with the defense. Always much appreciated there. Uh, Stuff on Film Study Baltimore uh, coming up this week. We have, uh, you're listening to Know Your Foe. The next show that will be out will be the offense, and that'll be out tomorrow. Uh, We'll have the By the Numbers show with Dan Reese. Uh, We did a defensive show I'd point you back to. And uh, and that should be should have been out on Monday night, uh, but that's with Sarah Ellison. And we went through play by play through the Ravens' victory at Tennessee. Uh, lots of good stuff in there, and always uh, all the energy. And some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package, but that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated, and right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet, and get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet essentials, one device included. Analysis that Sarah brings to it, always very exciting. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and, and Drew, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.